Hello, Victoria King here. I certainly hope that you are having a wonderful day and I'm so glad that you've toned in. I hope that you have an increased appreciation for our Lord and Savior after hearing this CDC series. For those who may not have listened to the previous episode, um, calling it CDC because I'm paralleling the Center for Disease Control's mission to save lives and protect from health, safety, and security threats with another CDC, uh, Christ's death on the cross. Sin also caused a health, safety, and security threat, and there was a need for a victorious vaccine. And as we enter into this holy week, uh, we understand uh, that that's what this was all about. And so we've been so blessed by this um, further uh, reviewing this and just thinking about what the Lord has done for us. Just awestruck by his destined purpose-driven life depicted in the first installment and so inspired by his willingness to declare his death to keep that harsh reality of the cross top of mind depicted in the second installment. And guess what? He did that just for you and he did it just for me. I hope you're feeling pretty special and very valuable. Anywho, today's is the third installment. This one, Christ's decision for the cross. If you've been following the series, you see that every week only the D changes. Uh, so this week, the D is his decision. And again, this is as we review what happened during this holy week. The reality is the only thing we have to give to our God is our will. He is powerful enough to make us do whatever he pleases, but he wants us to decide to do his will, to honor what who we say he is, and to fulfill his desire for our lives. And this installment is a perfect example of what doing just that looks like. Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 47, is referred to as the last Adam. I'll read those verses. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that which was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Both Adams had a garden experience. Adams is depicted in the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, going to read Genesis 2, 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Uh, we all know that God had created everything and even, hallelujah, reviewed it, assessed it, and said it is good prior even to putting Adam into that garden, again, to dress it and to keep it. Jesus was the garden of Gethsemane, and we're going to be looking at those verses today. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39. Then cometh Jesus unto them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto them to his disciples, Sit ye here, and I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. 
And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Whenever folks read the Gethsemane scene in Matthew, they are almost always struck by Jesus's level of distress. If asked to name what strikes them, they invariably use the words human when speaking of Jesus, as in he seems so very human in this scene. That reaction reveals two really interesting things. First, deep down, we know suffering is part and parcel of what it means to be human. It is not the only thing, of course. Joy, happiness, contentment, and pleasure all also color our lives, but suffering is most definitely a part of our experience. We are not perfect or completely sufficient unto ourselves, and this life is filled with hardship. Second, I also think it's interesting that we regularly seem surprised that Jesus suffers as we do. For that's the other thing people often say when reading this part of the story. Uh, he seems so much like us. No matter how often we may affirm the incarnatural thrust of the creeds that Jesus is fully human and fully divine, in our heart of hearts, we think of Jesus more regularly in terms of divinity. And for many of us, divinity means dispassionate that Christ had a human soul as well as a human body is here clear and was possessed of the same passions as ours are, but without sin, such as joy, love, grief, sorrow. And at this time, its sorrows were exceeding great. His soul was beset all around with the sins of his people. These took hold on him and encompassed him, which must, in the most sensible manner, affect his pure and spotless mind, the sorrows of death and hell, surrounded him on every side, insomuch that the least degree of comfort was not let in to him, nor was there any way open for it, so that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow. His heart was ready to break. He was brought even as it were to the dusk of death, nor would his sorrows leave him. He was persuaded unto soul and body was separated from each other. But why did our Savior suddenly become so very sorrowful? Why was it in his mind that brought, what was it in his mind that brought such agonizing sorrow upon him? Was it because of the rejection by every generation of mankind or that his closest friends were either betraying him or forsaking him? Was it because he feared the fast approaching hours of physical torture or that he dreaded the blackness of death itself? These may have been factors, but the evidence renders it more likely that the major reasons were these the humanly unbearable weight and pain of the knowledge and burden of thousands of years of mankind sin. Jesus had never known anything about sin. Uh, so that had to be unbearable weight. Uh, the horrifying fact that as the sins of the world were being laid upon him, he was actually becoming the sin of the world. Uh, according to 1 Corinthians 5 verse 21, Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, the Honorable Bishop Poole Alexander Bowers would say that on that cross, Jesus had the world's sins, mankind's sin on him, ah, but not, not one of them got in him. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The knowledge that his father, and this is where I land, the knowledge that his father 
must now turn away from him because of the sin that he, Jesus, bore and was now becoming. Uh, the thought of the fast approaching total separation from his father. Jesus loved his father. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus said, I and the father are one. Uh, uh, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me on to finish his work. Hallelujah. So the thought that he would be separated for his father cannot look on sin. Oh my God, had to be absolutely unbearable. Oh, my heart breaks when I think about him having to go through that. Uh, but I know he had to do it. Oh my God. Oh my God. On the last point, as it relates to the knowledge that his father must now turn away from him, um, Isaiah 53 prophesies that Jesus would be cut off from the land of the living. He was to be cut off from his human brothers and sisters who were imperfect, who enjoyed a temporary physical life, but whose sins had caused his suffering and death. More importantly and painfully for him, he was to be cut off from communication with his perfect, loving, and eternal father. If it be possible, uh, let this cup pass from me. We shrink instinctively from analyzing or commenting on the utterances of that hour of agony, but happily words are giving us where our own words fail. Uh, in the last segment, I think I talked about the playbook and that just as the world has a playbook, uh, that the Bible is the Lord's playbook. Hallelujah. Oh my God. And that we certainly pay when we don't operate by the dictates of that playbook. Uh, but Hebrews chapter five tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He had spoken before to the very disciples who were now near him of the cup, which his father had given him to drink. Now the cup is brought to his lips and his human will at once shrinks from it and accepts it. The prayer which he had taught his disciples to use, lead us not into temptation, is now his prayer, but is subordinated to the other prayer, which is higher even than it. Thy will be done. Uh, in the prayer, if it be possible, we recognize it as, as in Mark 13, 32, the natural necessary limits uh, of our Lord's humanity. Uh, nevertheless, he says, uh, uh, I'm going to land on to something else that the bishop said. The bishop said, listen, you can't go to Calvary uh, unless you stop by Gethsemane, because Gethsemane is where you have to lay your will down. Uh, otherwise, you ain't going to make it to Calvary. Oh, I thank you, Bishop. I miss you. Uh, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, which, a, a lot, which shows that this request was far from being sinful or contrary to piety to God or love to man or to true fortitude of mind, the pure natural will of Christ or the wills of Christ's human nature being left to act in a mere natural way shows a reluctancy to sorrow, sufferings, and death, this same will acting on natural principles and in a rational way puts it upon the possibility, the thing and the agreement of the divine will to it. That there are two wills in Christ, human and divine, is certain. His human will, though in some instances as in this, may have been different from the divine will, yet not contrary to it, and his divine will is always the same with his father's. This, as mediator, he engaged to do and came down from heaven for that purpose, took delight in doing it, and has completely finished it. Jesus's mission is to reveal the passion, passionate and vulnerable heart of his father, who being so passionately in love with the whole creation um, and vulnerable, vulnerable 
willing to expose his beloved begotten son to the suffering of that beloved creation out of that love. The wages of sin is death. A sin death was owed and only the death of a sinless substitutionary sacrifice could make full payment. As we approach Jerusalem and the end of the story of Jesus's earthly life, it occurs to me that we also come full circle, returning to the promise that Jesus is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. More than that, Jesus is the God who is with us by being one of us. And to this God, we can offer any prayer, lodge any concern, uh, confide any hope, for this God understands us fully and completely because this God in Jesus really did become so very human. It came to me that if only Adam in his garden of Eden temptation responded like Jesus. If only he denied Eve's offer and decide not to eat the fruit of that tree as God commanded. Ah, but that wasn't the case. Um, I'm reminded of the excerpt of uh, David and Nicole's daughter, Madsen, M-A-D-S-N, and a couple of lyrics from her song says, this is not an ordinary love, passionate enough to bear a cross, far beyond all I could ever want. Jesus, for me, this is not the fire that comes and goes. It's the air I breathe with fire in my bones. It's the greatest power that I have ever known. Jesus. I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for sending your beloved son to do what no one else could do. We thank you for his unparalleled example of submission to your will, regardless of the extreme cost. Help us to never forget the power of a decision uh, and to always decide to only do those things pleasing to you. Bless all who hear this podcast in a special way. Help them to overlook my flaws, guys, because it's definitely not about me. Uh, and bless them in Jesus' name. Uh, I'll be sharing the fourth and final segment on Easter Sunday. Uh, as you enter into and as you go through this Holy Week, just be mindful uh, that Jesus made a decision uh, to go to Calvary. Uh, and if you have the opportunity, read Matthew 26. Um, and I know that you'll be blessed. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you for your time. God bless you. Bye-bye.